So today we're going to start a series on David. And uh, I love, love, love David. David is probably my, my Old Testament hero, or probably one of my whole Bible heroes for many, many, many different reasons. And uh, so I love ministering on David. It's been a long time. I don't tend to preach, although he's one of my favourite characters, I don't tend to preach on David very much because I feel unless you can do a whole lot of stuff, it's almost an injustice. So we are going to journey with David over the next few months. Okay, so this series will be slightly longer than what we're used to, but I really pray that you will prepare your hearts that you would prepare your minds, that you would prepare yourself for the Word of God. Okay, it's very easy to take it light and so on and so forth, but sometimes we need to prepare our minds and our hearts and prepare ourselves for the Word of God. Okay, so I pray that you'll be encouraged and you'll be able to do that. Uh, we won't actually get to David for a couple of weeks because you can't actually preach on David without laying a foundation, okay? So David doesn't really get a mention today, but we're going to lay the foundation for what will come further down the line with David. So I hope, I really hope that you will be blessed, because if you can get your head round his journey and his life and his relationship and his actions, you really, really, really will find a sense of maturing in the Word of God. And I know over the last few weeks, from when Ricky preached that Yomi had a word, somebody else had a word, about the body of Christ maturing, the church maturing, coming to a place of maturity in God. And in actual fact, the role of a pastor is to equip the saints for works of purpose. And that's maturing in the body of Christ. Amen? So let's pray before we begin. So Heavenly Father, we just commit this series to you, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it brings life. Father, I thank you for the life of David and the other characters that we're going to encounter, Lord, as we journey. Father, I pray that you would bring revelation to each of us in different ways, that we would feel better equipped, that we would know your heart better, that we would understand your hand better, your actions better, Lord God. And in that, we would serve you with an even greater passion and a, a greater faithfulness because you are worthy. Father, I thank you, Lord. We just commit this word to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So if you want to turn to the first book of Samuel, David kind of goes over several books in the Old Testament, so starting with Samuel, Second uh, Samuel, Kings, Chronicles, there's a whole episode, as it were, about David's life. And so today we're going to start by laying a foundation, really, uh, to understand how the house is built. You've got to understand that a foundation has been laid. And in that foundation, what you don't see under the ground is the electric cables, it's the foundation stones, it's the, the sewage, the water pipes, the heating pipes, all these different things that are in a house, but they're all, they all start off in the foundations. So we're going to look at the foundation. So, uh, so yes, the first Samuel... First Samuel, and we're going to be starting off looking at a character called Hannah. Hannah. And there's a few women in the Bible that I think are absolutely fantastic. And when I get to heaven, I can't wait to meet them. And Hannah is one of these wonderful women of the Word of God, you know. And she is a fantastic example for women of today, but also for us men of today, when you look at her faithfulness and what she's done and so on and so forth. So just looking at Hannah initially, 
in 1 Samuel, Hannah was married to uh, Enkila and she had not had any children while her husband's second wife, Penina, had had children. And some Israelites had several wives in the Old Testament. It was not God's best, but it was common if they couldn't have children, if their wife was barren, that the man would take a second wife so that the ancestral line could carry on. But in the book of Malachi and in the New Testament, it clearly says one wife, her husband. And all the men went, thank you, Jesus. Amen? One version of my wife is more than enough for me. <laughs> so, now, Panina has come onto the scene predominantly because Hannah is not producing children, and Panina's come onto the scene, but Panina makes fun of Hannah because she can't have any children. So this poor woman is a godly woman, and she desperately wants to give her husband children, but she's barren, so Panina's came on to the uh, scene, and she's constantly ridiculing and taking the mickey out of Hannah. And Kenneh went to Shiloh with both of his wives and their children once a year to give worship and sacrifice offerings to the Lord because that's where the tabernacle was. The tabernacle was the ark, is where the Ark of the Covenant was kept, which represented the very presence of God. So they would go into the tabernacle and they would worship God in the very presence of God. And they would go up once a year to do this. Now, one advantage that Hannah had straight away is her husband is a very godly man. And if you want to be a blessing to your husband or wife, then be a godly person. Okay? I am blessed with a godly wife. I, I trust that your wives are godly women. Your husbands are godly men. Because that's the greatest gift a man can give to his wife. It's almost his own relationship with God. Amen? So, they would go up, they would give sacrifices, they would celebrate. And at Shiloh, at the temple, Eli, the prophet, and his two sons were the priests. So the priests at the time were Eli and his two sons. So 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 4. And we're just going to follow along the story and see what we can gain from it. 1 Samuel chapter 1 verse 4. Whenever the day came for uh, Encanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of meat to his wife Panina and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. So they would go up to sacrifice and at the sacrificial place there would be a celebration and Panina had already got children. She'd got sons and daughters. Hannah's got none. But Ankana loved Hannah. He really, really loved her and he spoiled her. He gave her a double portion. You know, when you love someone you can't help but spoil them. Love is an action. A lot of people say, oh, I love you, and it's meaningless words. They mean nothing at all because they're not followed up by any action or attitude. But Enkenah loved Hannah, so he would treat her special and give her a double portion. It's a bit like me and my wife. Occasionally, we will have a tiramisu from Sainsbury's, and she loves tiramisu. And she buys a family-sized tiramisu. And she says to me, oh, we can eat this together, knowing that I don't particularly like it. I find it a bit sickly. But, oh, we can eat this together. But to bless her, I give her a double portion. She eats the lot. Okay? But, and Kenna loved Hannah. And because the Lord had closed her womb. Now sometimes in life we can blame the enemy for everything, but in actual fact the Lord is in the situation. Okay, it's easy to pass blame on everything else. But sometimes 
we have to trust God's sovereignty. Well, God is sovereign. So if I'm in this difficulty at the moment and God is sovereign, then he's allowing it for whatever reason. I've got to find the gold in the situation. Maybe it's just to change and shape my character. Maybe it's to show me something. Maybe it's to stretch my faith. I don't know what it is, but I know God is sovereign and he doesn't play games with our lives. Amen? So we have to trust God. But the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival, Panina, kept provoking her in order to irritate her. So this other woman in the household is just being a cow at the end of the day. She's just annoying. She's just pointing the finger. She becomes an irritation at the end of the day. She's just not a nice person. And sometimes in life, there's people who irritate you. Sometimes you irritate other people. There's things that you do or don't do that irritate other people, and there's things that uh, other people do irritate you. That's just life. But we love each other beyond the irritations. Amen? We love each other in spite of the irritations. Amen? Why? Because that's what love does. But this woman kept provoking her. This went on year after year. Can you imagine it? Year after year, she's desperate to have a child, and year after year, she's barren, while the other woman's knocking them out like a conveyor belt. He's only got to look at her and she's pregnant again. And poor Hannah is struggling. She's a godly woman. She's desperate to have children, and it's not happening. And you can understand the heartache, and not only does it not happen, but this other woman is ridiculing her because of it. She's rubbing her nose in it. And this poor godly woman, Hannah, year after year, this isn't a short episode. Year after year, she's enduring what is going on. And sometimes in life we can struggle because year after year we're enduring. But let me encourage you. God is in your struggle. You are not there alone. You may have a struggle. It may have, there may be an irritation. But God is with you in it. He said, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. And I think Hannah knew that much about the Lord and she remained faithful. She could have walked away and said, well, what am I getting out of this? What's the point? Why don't I give up? But she remains faithful. Hannah went up to the house of the Lord. Her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Can you imagine the distress, the heartache that she's been so put down, humiliated, that she can't even eat. She's just sobbing continually because her rival keeps taking the mickey out of her, provoking her, and this woman is heartbroken. And Kenna, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? And in that phrase, you can see her husband has a sense of rejection, a sense of disappointment. He's not enough for her. He wants to be enough for her. And he says, surely we're married. I'm being faithful to you. I'm honouring you. Surely I'm better than ten sons. Surely you want me. I'm your husband. But there's that maternal instinct in Hannah. And dare I say, a call of God that needs to be fulfilled. But sometimes, sometimes you've got to reflect on how your behaviour can affect those around you. We can often keep our eyes on our own situation, not realising how our own situation can affect other people. You know? Sometimes nobody can meet us 
and give us the comfort that we need, only God. And sometimes you can burn yourself out trying to meet the needs of your husband or wife. And you'll burn yourself out trying because only God can meet that need. And sometimes you can burden people in your life because you want them to meet your every emotional need, but they can't. They can't do it. They're human. Only God can meet the every emotional need that we have. And sometimes we can put pressure or we can look at people with a sense of disappointment. And we can feel disappointed with people because they don't understand us or they're not sensitive enough to us or they're not compassionate enough. Do you know what? Maybe they just don't fully understand what you're going through. And that's where we have to turn to the Lord. Verse 9. When they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept and prayed to the Lord. She made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. Now, the, the uh, not using a razor was an outward sign that the priests would do that so that everybody knew the vow that they had made. And in that vow, they would take a vow and they would promise various things. So people would look and say, oh, we know that that's a, a priest of the Lord because they're shaven head. So that means they've took this vow. And that's simply what, it, what she was saying. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in the heart. Her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long will you keep getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the Lord, uh, may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. So she is in the temple and she is pouring her heart out to God. Because she can't have children. Because she can't give her husband maybe what he desires. Because the whole of the society probably affect her as well. Because of all these different reasons, there's such heartache and distress in this poor woman that she's praying out of the anguish of her soul, her innermost being. She's at a wit's end. She's heartbroken. And then, to add insult to injury, Eli thinks she's drunk. This is a godly woman. And she is praying. Somebody once said, uh, if you're not praying using your voice, then you're not praying at all. How many times have you prayed in your heart without your mouth going? Time and time and time again. Time and time. And this is what Hannah was doing she was praying, no sound was coming out, but she was just praying to the Lord. But Eli misinterprets the situation and judges her wrongly. And how often we misinterpret situations. And we can judge things wrongly because we've misinterpreted what somebody's intention is, or situation is, or whatever it is. So we've got to make sure that we interpret correctly. The phrase uh, where she starts the prayer, uh, she starts the prayer, uh, uh, O Lord Almighty, O Lord Almighty, she said. Or in uh, the New King James, it says, O Lord of hosts. 
So when Hannah did this, she was saying, Lord of hosts, that phrase, Lord of hosts, is used 260 times in the Old Testament. 260 times. Lord Almighty or Lord of hosts. And it actually means Lord of all the armies. See, Anna was feeling, Hannah was feeling attacked. So in that, she, she calls upon the name of the Lord as the ruler and commander of the Lord of hosts because of the situation. And that's where she prays from. Eli, the priest, says, go in peace. And may the God of Israel grant what you have asked him. And many times we pray and we ask God to do things, but we do not go in peace because we don't believe God's going to do it because we're full of unbelief. Hannah believed God was going to do something about the situation. She might know what might not know what it was, but Eli said to her, now go in peace. He didn't say, you're going to have a child. He said, go in peace. He's saying, trust that God has got the situation in hand. And often we pray, but we don't go in peace because we don't trust that God has got the situation in hand. There's unbelief in our heart. And we've got a, you've really got to focus on what we're not just asking God for, but who we're asking. You know? It's who we're asking. But yet, she goes in peace. Continue in verse 18. She said, May your servant find favour in your eyes. And she went away and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. So to this point, she's been miserable, she's been depressed, for good reason. She's under attack constantly by her husband's other wife. They're having children until the cows come home. She's struggling, she's being persecuted because of it. The priest thinks that she's got a drinking problem when she's just praying. It's all going peak tong, and she's a godly woman. But, he says, may God answer your request. And immediately, her face changed. Her attitude changed. She still didn't have anything in the hand to prove God had answered any request. But she had something in the heart called faith. I believe God has heard. She had faith. And how often we ask for God and oh, my situation, oh, I'm trusting you, Lord. And we go out and we're still as miserable and downcast as we were coming in because we don't have faith. We're not trusting God's going to do it. Not really. Don't bother asking if you don't believe he's going to do it. Why ask? I'm not going to ask that post to do something for me because I don't believe it can. It's pointless. But Hannah had faith, and faith causes action. And there was an immediate action. She smiled. She said, oh, I feel hungry. I might get me a tiramisu on the way home today. Her appetite come back. Why? Because the stress began to go. Why? Because she had something in hand. No, she had nothing. But she believed. She believed God was in her situation. And that, my friends, is faith. Faith is not having something in your hand. That's not faith. Faith is having nothing in your hand but believing God will put something in it. That's the point of faith. Amen? And Hannah was a woman of faith She's gone home, she said, right, get me a fattened cow because I'm having a bit of steak tonight. My appetite's come back, I'm in a good mood. Why? The situation changed. She was no longer downcast. 
She didn't have any guarantees, but she trusted God was in the situation with her. And sometimes we don't have guarantees. And I hear such heartbreaking stories sometimes, and I want to say to the person emotionally, Yes! God will do it for you, Tony! But I can't. Because I ain't God, and I don't know what he's going to do. He might do it, Tony, but he might not. But in my emotion, I want to say, yes, God will do it for you. Name it, claim it, frame it, and stick it on the wall. Next! But guess what? I can't say that. But I can say, I don't know if God will do it, but I know he's with you in it. That's for sure. And I know he's heard your prayer. That's for sure. And I know he loves you. That's for sure. And I know he wants the best for you more than what you want the best for you. That's for sure. But will you get that particular request? I don't know. I don't know. See, your faith will grow dependent on a few factors in life. And all of the factors are pretty much dependent on us. One, your knowledge of God. If you don't have a knowledge of God, it will limit your faith. In this situation, Hannah was coming under attack. She had a knowledge of God. She didn't pray to Yahweh as such. She didn't use that name. She didn't use uh, Jehovah Nissi or Jehovah other names and variations, but she used Lord of Hosts because she knew she needed God to rise up and fight on her behalf. So you need a knowledge of God to increase your faith. Who are you talking to? Amen? And if you will get into the Word of God and increase your knowledge of God, that will increase your faith. Number two, she had a relationship with God. It wasn't just a slot machine every time she needed something. There was a relationship with God. She knew God. Number three, she trusted God for the outcome. She trusted God for the outcome. And those things are exercised in our faith. Faith is not measured by the amount of times God gives you what you're asking for. That's not a measure of faith. Faith in God is when despite sometimes there is not an answer to prayer the way you believe it or the way you wanted God to move or even hearing an answer, faith in God is coming to trust him no matter what pans out. That's faith in God. Daniel said, if our God saves us, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, and they're going to be thrown into the lion's den, whatever it is, the fiery furnace. Daniel turned around and said, if our God saves us, he saves us, wonderful. But if he doesn't, he's no less God. He's no less God. And how often we make God less, we pull him down because he didn't answer the prayer the way you thought it would be answered. Or we've not done something the way you wanted it done, so suddenly God gets pulled down. He's not worthy anymore of your worship, of your sacrifice, of your finances, of your time, of your dedication, because he didn't answer the prayer the way you wanted it to be answered. So now God must be punished He's no longer worthy anymore because the situation didn't work out the way you expected it. So we refrain and our commitment becomes less and our love becomes less. Do you see how easy it is when we really judge ourselves? You know? We're so busy judging everybody else but we don't want to judge ourselves. And I want to be in the place where irrespective, good day, bad day, good breath, bad breath, God is still God. My emotions don't affect the reign of God. And I can't treat him according to my emotions. You can't. You can't do it. We've got to treat him according to who he is. What the word of God says. With reverent fear, work out your salvation. Understand it. With reverent fear. 
and wonder and awe of the sovereign Yahweh God that we worship and that we love and that we don't understand in a month of Sundays sometimes. I don't, under, I, I don't understand God in millions of ways in my life. I don't understand at all. And I tell him, I say, Lord, I don't understand, but I surrender. Lord, I don't understand, but I'm not going to throw it in your face. And the Lord's already turned around and said, my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. You ain't going to understand. You're not me. But it's a matter of surrendering and acknowledging his lordship irrespective of the pain we might be in. And your pain does not supersede God's authority. And your pain is not above God's righteousness. Because he is complete righteousness. Well, how then can he allow this to happen in my life? I don't know. I've not got the answer. But I know he's complete righteousness. And I know that he loves you. And I know he died on a cross for you. Why that's happened, I don't know. Maybe it's the dynamics of living in a fallen world. Why have I got an ear infection? Well, I partly know. But why didn't God stop it? Well, I don't know. It's just a part of living in a fallen world. Sometimes we're trying to make things so super spiritual that they're just part of the fallen world. They're just part of life. Jesus said, you will have trouble in this world. He didn't say, listen, you're on a happy bus till you go to heaven. He said, you will have trouble in this world. You will face troubles. It will be tough. But I'm with you in it. I'm with you in it. I'm with you in it. And even in my greatest pains that I've been through, never have I once felt God abandoned me. I felt he didn't like me very much. <laughs> but never has he abandoned me. Never come close to it. Have I abandoned him? Many times. Many times I've walked away and gone, Pfft. you know, I've had enough of this. But God never has never. He is faithful. So, despite the response to prayer, despite the answers, our God is a holy God. And Hannah has not got the answer to prayer yet, yet she's at peace. She's got peace. Continue in verse 19. Early the next morning they rose and worshipped before the Lord. And then they went back to their home at Ramah. And Cana laid with his, uh, with his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So in due time, Anna con Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. Now, it wasn't a supernatural, instantaneous thing. We know the Lord gave her a son, but it didn't say she, she went home and was pregnant. It didn't say she was riding on the back of the, the donkey and, well, hey, she was pregnant. It said... In the course of time. It took time. It didn't happen instantaneously. In the course of time, she became pregnant. Why? Because the Lord remembered her. She conceived and gave birth to a son and she named him Samuel because I've asked the Lord for him. In the Old Testament, everybody's name meant something. All names had a significant meaning. You know, there wasn't just, oh, what should we call this one? Gerald. What should we call that one? Tina. What should we, oh, in this day and age, what should we call this one? Pear and fruit. North and west. River and mountain. Chair and table. That's the wackiness of this world. What's your name, son? Table. Yeah, yeah. Oh, where'd you sit in the class? Oh, next to leg. You know? It's crazy. But names were significant, and all the names generally reflected God's goodness. They were to honour God. Matthew, in Hebrew, is pronounced Matiyahu. Sound like a cowboy. Matiyahu! But it actually means, Matthew means, gift of God. So even if you don't like me, guess what? I'm a gift of God. Amen? So she names him Samuel. 
And she keeps her word. Numbers 30 verse 2 says, When a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he must not break his word but must do everything he said. That's how serious things were taken. In this day and age, I I changed my mind. Yeah, I don't care anymore. No, I've I've just changed my mind. But in these days, things were serious. Ecclesiastes 5.4 says, When you make a vow to God, do not delay in filling it, fulfilling it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to vow than what it is to make a vow and not fulfill it. And so often we can make promises. The New Testament says this, let your yes be your yes and your no be your no. That's it. See, we've lost honour in this day and age. We've lost integrity. You make an appointment to see somebody or you make a commitment to something and you get up and you don't feel in the mood. You just think, oh, don't feel in the mood. And your wife turns around and says, yeah, don't go, just phone them and cancel it. It's all right. No honour. No honour. We will not keep our word if it puts us out. Oh, it's going to put me out? I ain't doing that. I'm not doing that. I'm not going there. It's awful. What has happened to honour and integrity? When I turn around sometimes to my wife, I say, I've got to do X, Y and Z. She might say to me, why? I said, because I said I would. And that's enough. I said I would. So that ties me into it. I don't want to let people down. I don't want to muck them around. And I place value on them. And I said I would do it. You know? And sometimes we commit to things and afterwards we think, do you know what, that was stupid. I wish I hadn't said yes to this. That's why the Bible says, let your yes be your yes, no be your no. And think about what you're offering before you offer it. Can you keep this commitment? Can you come up with the goods? And sometimes it's our own detriment that we have to keep that commitment. And this is what Hannah was like. To our own detriment, she was going to honour God even if she is worse off for it, to her own detriment, she's going to honour the Lord. Did Hannah keep her promise? She said that she would give her son to the Lord. If only she would have a boy, she would give him to the Lord for all of his life. Verse 22, After the boy was weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. Wow. And when Samuel was weaned, uh, which probably in those times was about three years old. So when Samuel was three years old, she would return to Eli the priest, verse 26. As surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord for his whole life he shall be given over to the Lord. What a woman. Eli didn't even recognise her. She could have kept her mouth shut. Eli probably forgot. Eli's probably forgot about the promise. He meets hundreds of people. He don't know. Keep your mouth shut, they might not notice. Could That could have been the attitude. But the promise she made, yes, was to Eli, but more than that, it was to God. And she was going to come up good on the promise. Now, the boy is about three years old. She's desperate for a child, and yet she's going to honour God by giving the child into the ministry of Eli. Wow. That is incredible. She kept her word That must have been heartbreaking. This means she's going to see her son once a year. That's it. That's as much as she will see her son once a year when they all travel to the tabernacle for the sacrifices. (laughs) 
Now she trusted God with the big picture. She trusted God because she loved him. The more you love the Lord, the more you trust him. It's not easy. Of course it's not easy. We live in a world of total mistrust today. People don't trust people at all. That's the society we live in. There's no trust. People don't keep their word. They smile at you. They hug you like this while they've got a knife in your back. That's how people hug you. And I'm talking about the church. Not just the world. That, that's how people can be. And so it's really hard to trust. When we trust, it means we're going to be vulnerable. When we trust, it means we're potentially unprotected emotionally. And I've been let down before, and I've been uh, cheated, and I've been conned, and all these different things. So you, the natural behaviour is to protect oneself. But Hannah does the opposite. She trusts God. First Samuel chapter 2, verse 19. Each year his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifices. Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife, saying, May the Lord give you children by this woman to take the place of the one she had prayed for and gave to the Lord. Then they would go home. And the Lord was gracious to Hannah, and she conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Isn't that wonderful? Three sons and two... She, she had a dead womb. She couldn't give birth to a pineapple. There was nothing going on. But because of her faithfulness to God, she's now got a whole family. Three sons, two daughters, wonderful. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. Now it says they went up every year. So she saw him once a year and she would make him a little garment. And there's a little spiritual principle there. It meant what? She had to make him a new garment every year. Why? Because there was this little problem. Well, there was a little problem, and this little problem was he kept growing. And every year he was a little bit taller, maybe a little bit fatter, a little bit broader, whatever. So every year she had to make a new garment. My challenge is this. Are you growing, or are you a dwarf? Are you just stuck? Have you stopped growing? Is there an issue? Because each year we should be growing and growing and growing and the things I struggled with last year, I shouldn't be struggling with this year because I saw the way the Lord dealt with it last year. I need to keep growing. I need to keep growing in the Lord. I need to keep expanding. Not just my belly, but I need to keep expanding in God. I need to grow in the things of God. The things that satisfied me last year, I experienced. I need new experiences this year. You know, I want my relationship to be fresh with the Lord, not stale. You know, when it's stale and you're just, you, you meet some people and they've got spiritual kind of, they're stuck in this spiritual time warp of 1973 where, you know, they experience God and they get stuck there and they've never moved on. And they can only refer to that kind of time period. Oh, back in the good old days when you used, we used to pray together and it was wonderful. And, da, 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 da. and you think, that's great. Honour God for that. But what's happening now? Well, there's not the same people around me. Well, the circumstances are different. Well, the, yeah, but it's the same God. It's the same God. So we need to ensure that we continue to grow. Otherwise, we're going to be running around spiritually with shorts on. We're wearing clothes that don't fit. Instead of putting the full armour of God on in Ephesians 6, we're not wearing the right clothing to deal with the situation because we've stopped growing. And no matter how old we are in the Lord, we continue to grow. And we should desire that. I mean, for the love of God, if I stop growing, don't follow me anymore. Just don't follow me. Don't follow stale people. You'll end up stale and smelly. Right? 
Hannah was faithful. She kept her word to the Lord. She received even greater blessing. She followed through on a commitment that would cost her immensely. Can you imagine as a mum, as a dad, giving up a child that you're only going to see once a year to honour God? Wow. When we dedicate our children to the Lord, we promise that we're going to bring them up in the ways of the Lord. That's our commitment. It doesn't actually involve the child. It's about us as parents. And we're, we're saying, look, your Father, you've given us these children. We've been blessed with them. And your word says that we must train them up in your ways. So I'm going to be making sure that I do that. Whether they stick to that or not is not your responsibility. You discharged your responsibility by bringing them up in the ways of the Lord. But if you're an ungodly parent and you treat your children ungodly and you behave ungodly and you give them an ungodly example, that is not bringing them up in the ways of the Lord. Fulfill your vow. You made it. Fulfill it. Honour God. God's more important in your children's life than an iPad. Just reality. God first, everything else second. But they must know God. And the way they will get to know God, they will look back and they will look back to see, well, did mummy and daddy know God? Because you will be the greatest demonstration in your life, in their life, of God will be you. No, you can't be perfect. Nobody is. We know that. Of course not. But they, they children will look to their parents. So we dedicate them to the Lord. She didn't know when she gave up her child, she didn't do it thinking, I'll give him up and I'll get more back. That wasn't her attitude. You know, and sometimes people have got into this thing where, oh, if I sacrifice this for God, he's going to give me more. And so the only reason they're sacrificing is because they see it as an as a, uh, investment plan. The more I sacrifice, the more I'm going to get back. <laughs> Sorry, I can't help but laugh because you're going to end up with egg on your face. You sacrifice because it's a sacrifice. You give unto the Lord, not expecting back. If you get back, what a blessing. But the heart motive has got to be right. Amen? Many times we give things to the Lord, it's like a game of tennis. You give it to the Lord, five minutes later you took it back again. You give it to the Lord again, five minutes later you took it back again. You know, it goes to and fro, to and fro. And sometimes things are hard to give to the Lord. Not easy. It's tough. Hard work. And you need God's help. You need to cry to God, help me, Lord. If you're asking me to sacrifice this thing or give it up, you know, I'm not going to watch EastEnders anymore. Whatever it is you're doing. You, whatever your thing is, I'm going to give up smoking. I'm going to give up drinking. I'm going to give up fornication. I'm going to give up pornography. I'm going to give up being bad-tempered. I'm going to give up hope deferred. I'm going to give up being miserable. I'm going to be a nice person. Yeah, right. You know, whatever it is, we, we can so easily take it back. I'm going to be faithful financially. I'm going to tithe, I'm going to honour God with this, that and the other, lasted a month. Be faithful, keep your word, have integrity unto the Lord. You know, God knows our hearts anyway. All Samuel's achievements, we haven't really got on to Samuel yet, but all of his achievements wouldn't have come to pass if it weren't for Hannah. Samuel can run around with his badges, but it was Hannah who enlisted him and put him into the ministry and gave him unto the Lord. Hannah. And sometimes we look at the big stars and it's actually the little stars that make the big stars happen. And Samuel would have never gone on to anoint David as king, his greatest accolade, if Hannah hadn't had honoured the Lord before. I'm thankful for my mum and dad. They... Well, Scripture says, bring them up in the ways of the Lord. They dragged us up in the ways of the Lord, you know. But even in dragging us up in the ways of the Lord, do you know what? For all their faults and weaknesses, I know that, I know that, I know that, I know that they loved God. 
they showed it in peculiar ways. But I know they loved God, and I know they prayed for me, and for that I'm grateful. You know, you hear so many testimonies of people who had a praying grandmother or a praying grandfather in their life, in the background somewhere. What did Samuel go on to achieve? We're going to see that in the coming weeks. But he was classed as the greatest judge of Israel. The greatest judge of Israel. Samuel anointed the first two kings of Israel, Saul and David. Samuel was the priest behind King David. Excuse me. And he was listed in the Hall of Fame in Hebrews. Hebrews 11, verse 32. It says, what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. So this little boy who's dedicated by Hannah goes on to be potentially the greatest prophet in the history of Israel and in the entire word of God that's what he goes on to become and he would have been nothing had it not been for this faithful woman who was heartbroken, under persecution, suffering rejection, misunderstood, misjudged and yet in amongst it all she stayed faithful. Do you know what? The other day your son Josie was up here and he said about coming back to church and coming back to the Lord. And the turning point, he said, was my mother. Seeing my mother getting right with God. That was the turning point for her grown-up son. What will be the turning point for some of our children? What do we need to do, Lord? Help us. So Samuel is noted through faith they conquered kingdoms, they administered justice, they gained what was promised. Amen? How many of us look at the Bible and all the promises, if only we could get the promises. It says they gained all what was promised, but they had a character trait before, through faith. Through faith. And they administered justice. They gained what was promised, they shut the mouths of lions, they quenched the fiery flames and they escaped the edge of the sword. Whose weaknesses, listen, whose weaknesses were turned into strengths. And they're wonderful. Whose weaknesses were turned into strengths. Never write yourself off. Never write yourself off. You might have be down on your luck, you might not have no money, you might be stuck in addiction, you might be all sorts of things. Never write yourself off. God can use your weaknesses for his glory. Amen? God can turn a testimony out of a test. Never write yourself off. Never look at yourself and say, well, I can't because I'm X, Y, and Z. You're limiting God. That's to limit God. whose weaknesses were turned to strength, who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Oh, isn't it wonderful? What achievements! So God was able to use Samuel greatly and he was genuinely dedicated to God. God worked through Samuel because he was willing to be a servant. He listened and obeyed God's direction. And God's direction ain't the same as ours a lot of the time. It's a bit like me and my relationship with my sat-nav. My sat-nav's direction and my directions clash a lot of the time. Okay, just last weekend, I'm driving home, traffic's fine on the motorway, suddenly she barks up, and I'm not talking about the wife, the sat-nav barks up and says, Oh! Route recalculation, come off at the next turning. I'm thinking, what for? There's no traffic. Where are you going to take me? Where is it going to lead? I don't trust you. We've not been intimate enough yet for me to trust you, Satnav. 
And in the end, I looked at Ma, I said, what do we do? Do we trust her and end up miles away? Or is it going to avoid a problem? Ma said, trust her. I said, you women all stick together. And so I trusted my sat-nav. It took me off the motorway. Down the slip road, I see all this traffic. I still see the motorway. I see all this traffic built up. I look across and went, oh, thank God for that. And then the sat-nav takes me back on the motorway. I said, it's schizophrenic. Blimey, sat-nav lost its... But what? Within two minutes, the traffic was flowing again. That sat-nav probably saved me all of five minutes. I'm thinking of taking the relationship to a whole new level. Apparently, she even knows where the speed cameras are. Do we listen to God's direction? Dedication is to give God control of our life. That's true dedication. Dedication doesn't mean you're dedicated to X, Y, and Z. True dedication is to say, you know what, I'm going to trust you with my life. And your life is precious. And God doesn't take it lightly. He loves you. He cares for you. He knows the number of hairs upon your head, according to the word of God, and mine keep changing daily. Alright? But God loves me, and I've got to trust in his love for me. I've got to trust in it. I've got to believe it. It's got to become active. And because Hannah trusted God, wow! we get to see a future King David because Hannah chose to trust God. The kind of person we are is more important than anything we might do. For all our accolades, for all our achievements, for all the blowing smoke up our own noses, the type of person we are is more important than what we achieved. Integrity and character were the keys with Hannah. Now we're going to close in prayer and we're going to have communion and I just want us to take the opportunity. We might need to repent. We might need to actually say, Do you know, Lord, I'm sorry. I've been playing a game of tennis with this situation. I keep making promises and then I don't come up with the goods. I might need to say, Lord, I want to trust you more. Help me. I feel vulnerable and I need you to help me. We might need to repent as parents and judge ourselves and say, what am I building in my children's life? What is the value in their life? Am I getting this right? I'm the only parent they're going to have. And I want to really honour you, Lord, with my children. Now, I'm not saying you've got to cart them off somewhere else or give them to me. Keep your children. But you understand what I'm saying. And we might need to repent. Sometimes we can become unthankful because those blimmin' black children we've got are nothing but strife. And sometimes that is true. But look at the prodigal father. Look at his attitude. And his child was nothing but strife and a humiliation. Yet, he loved him. He forgave him. He embraced him. Probably time and time again. Sometimes we need to be thankful. So today we're going to have communion. And what I would say is, do you know what? Come and receive communion. Come and receive the elements. But before you take them, just take a minute. To just sit and say, do you know, Lord, I just want to thank you for my children. And I want to honour you for my children. And I want to ask you to forgive me for when I'm a bad example of you to my children. Because I want to be a good example. I don't want them to misunderstand who you are because of me. Or maybe you've made promises to God on other things and you've just got to say, do you know what? Just help me be faithful. Maybe you just need a bit of your faith to increase like Hannah. Her face changed. And she ate something. She didn't have the answer to her prayer at that point. But she believed. 
And maybe sometimes we need to have a wake-up call. Do I really believe? Do I really? Or do I go through lip service and in, in actual fact I'm saying in unbelief, really? I don't know. I don't know what it might be. There's a few things for me there and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get before the Lord and I trust that you'll do the same. Thank you.